filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. If you're hearing this on our uh, general episode feed, then this is the second episode this week. If you're listening to us on Patreon, this is probably the first episode this week because a storm has completely thrown off what time means on this It podcast. has attacked Jason. Don't, it, it allow, really don't allow nature to destroy Jason. So no Jason tonight. It's just me and Ben and uh, our our special guest, who I guess I will introduce right now. DC United hit the road this weekend to visit the Music City in Nashville SC, who sit one point and one place ahead of United in the Eastern Conference standings. You can watch that one Saturday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, the one true time zone, as we've been known to call it. Uh, see it on NBC Sports Washington, Teleexitos, DCUnited.com, ESPN+, Plus, wherever you want, really. Clay Trainum is one-third of the Pharmaceutical Soccer Podcast, covering all things NSC. And uh, when we were kids, I once fell into the lake behind his house while we were fishing, and uh, my dad got real mad at me. Clay, welcome back to Filibuster. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to be back. I will say that if you tune into uh, NBC and DC on Saturday night, you're going to be watching it for about 24 hours because kickoff is actually on Sunday. Sunday, so... <laughs> not Saturday. I wrote down the wrong We already talked thing. about this, Adam. <laughs> no, we. I, time doesn't exist in we, a normal sense right so now. Here's how wild it is in Nashville. Nashville doesn't have another Saturday night game for the rest of the season. Like that is wild. Yeah, because they played so many home games because of the Titans. So there's the last Saturday night kickoff at home of the regular season, at least, was against FC Cincinnati uh, a couple weeks ago. So Sunday night. Screw those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who cares about them? Clay, what are you doing? I'm doing well. It was a very long last few days. Uh, I am coming off. 3,837 miles traveled in a span of eight days to watch Nashville get one of a possible six points. So <laughs> let me tell you what a time. That's that's dedication. What are you drinking to to smooth off those edges, knowing I, uh, that you don't actually drink alcohol? <laughs> yeah. So uh, in the South, uh, it's not just a Southern thing, but it is associated in the South. We love ourselves some Sonic. So it is a oh, uh, yeah. it is a Route 44 vanilla Coke Zero. So it's healthy, but it's a lot that, of healthy, right? That's what I, I love a vanilla Coke Zero. So we uh, so I, the the family and I drove to spent two weeks in Kentucky, and on our way out there, we actually stopped at a Sonic in Tennessee, as one does. Fun fact: been to the first Sonic that ever was. It's in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Do not recommend the town. They don't even have a Target. It's a weird place. And the first Adam. Sonic 
is exactly the same as all the other Sonics, except it just has a sign that says this is the first Sonic. Adam, also, like, we have Sonics in Virginia. You don't have to go all the way to Kentucky to go to a Sonic. We didn't go there to go to the Sonic. The Sonic was at the exit where we pulled off, so we stopped at Sonic. It was I'm not a target. Place they don't have Sonics? Seattle. That, yeah. yeah. Wrong color scheme, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk yeah. soccer, Clay. No, Nashville they, has been up in the standings for for basically the whole season. They've been uh, ahead of DC United until this past week, anyway. Uh, winless in three, though, as you alluded to during your, your road trip talk. They got draws against New England and Toronto and a loss at Miami which is not something How? anyone wants on their resume. What's going on right now? Well, the the short answer is that they've been dealing with some squad turnover. Uh, Walkers, they had a lot of people that were gone on international duty. Anibal Godoy was supposed to play in the Gold Cup, got a hamstring injury. Walker Zimmerman did play in the Gold Cup, got a hamstring injury. Alistair Johnston was an every-game starter for Canada in the Gold Cup. So... They had they were depending on a lot of reserves. I think that there's you can safely say that there is a a bit of an expiration date when you're trying to do that, and I think it kind of came due. Um, what I will say is those reserves have played exceptionally well. So there was a lot of squad turnover in the first two matches on that three game road swing. Uh, Toronto, I mean, they were starting third string guys in Toronto. Uh, managed to get a point out of there in a game they probably felt like they could have gotten three points out of. But that's that's a Toronto team that's playing much differently in the last month. They were um, they were unbeaten for a month going into that game. And then New England, I think it was three regular starters against New England, given New England without Carlos Seal. And um, Nashville should have won that game. I mean, they, they, uh, they pretty much controlled huge bits of it. I imagine Bruce Arena is getting really mad playing against Gary Smith at this point because it, it doesn't quite ever work out the way that uh, I'm sure he would like. And then the funny thing about it all is Gary goes into those three games saying he wants to come out of there with uh, four points, gets two points on the front end using reserves, then loads up a mostly uh, starting caliber team, certain or regular starting caliber team aside from a couple of absences and just does not have a good performance in Miami. Uh, it, it's Miami. It was an afternoon game, really, in Miami. I know it said it kicked off at uh, at 6, but the sun was out when the game ended. It was very, very, very hot. I'm sure that played a role, but it was still uh, one of the worst performances of the season. I would say that that is a, probably a good omen for Nashville going into the D.C. game. Because uh, in the four years that, that they've been around as a professional team, they are pretty good coming off a bad performance, whether it be a draw or a loss. And uh, so, it, but it was hard to watch. It's a little bit weird. They kind of dried up on the scoring. They were scoring at a rate as good as anybody in the league. Uh, the last three games, they've scored two goals. Uh, and the one in New England, you know, is off a set piece. So, like, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to figure out. I guess I take that back. It was like, I think it was three goals, but uh, either way, it, it, it's, it's something, there are some things to worry about, but it's still a good team at its core. So talking about Gary Smith, 
we on this podcast have liked to make fun of him because of his uh uh I'm getting there I'm getting there Clay I'm getting there on this podcast last year and I know I know I'm getting there I'm getting there I'm not going to apologize but I'm going to uh uh talk around that uh, <laughs> contextualize I'm going to contextualize it like he was bad for a long time in MLS. Yes, he did win an MLS Cup, but it, that was the worst MLS Cup in MLS history, uh, the 2010 MLS league. Cup. But, uh, and yes, we, we we had questions about him being hired by Nashville, and he's done a pretty decent job. And so how has Gary Smith uh, transitioned from a coach that people kind of wrote off into a coach that's doing a pretty decent job in this league. Well, I do think that it's worth keeping in mind that there are some intangible elements here that that people don't really think about. One, I think if you go back and look at the the numbers from Gary Smith at Colorado as I brought up on here when you know at the start of the first MLS season, those numbers were actually pretty impressive in the grand scheme of things. Look at the mess that Colorado's been largely and look what they were able to do in comparison to the rest of the I mean, the come on. That 2010 team was still bad. Right. But they were a top five scoring team the, what, the four, four out of the five years he was there? Like, that's not nothing. And I think that the, his reputation was as not a scoring team, which in retrospect is untrue. And look at what Colorado's been without, like, in these years without. I mean, they've and been, when they've you been take majestic. Back, they've been when majestic take, when Pablo Mastroeni was there. They've been yeah. <laughs> delightfully insane. But when you take that into account, in a league that hired Frankie Allop four times, Gary oh, Smith yeah. never got hired again. And so he was in the lower levels. He was he was coaching in Atlanta. You know, he coached in Nashville. And he came into MLS with a lot of people that were kind of on him. And so I think that there's some element of that that is inherent to why he's been successful in Nashville. See, I think if you look at the way that they were built from USL now into MLS, the team operates with a chip on its shoulder the whole time. They get that from Gary, Gary and Mike Jacobs, a guy who comes from Evansville, I must mention, but a school that in itself also has to operate with a chip on its shoulder due to, or lack of resources that that's endemic to the team. And so when I have these conversations with, with folks in the front office and whatnot, one of the big things that they always talk about, and it's, it's a, it's a thing that people, it's a cliche in sports, but I do think that it's to the point where it was underrated for so long and it became overrated, whatever. Like they treat talking about the locker room, talking about the culture of the team as if it's another player. So when they go out and get someone, it's not just does this player fit our team, whatever. It's does this player fit our locker room? And then if yes, how does he fit our team? And I think if you look at the way that they've constructed the locker room, constructed the team from guys that were regular MLS players, if not stars, guys, like they all kind of come in with, a, with something a little bit, you know, it's almost the first year it was like an island of misfit toys. And now it's like coming together because they've been able to lay that foundation, been able to build that team culture. And then once you have that, you can really start to go on because you can, you can take some chances on guys to bring them in and see if they work. Unfortunately, not all of them do, but it, it, it sort of lets you build that foundation to go on. And I think that 
with someone like Gary Smith, who's been on the lower levels and has to deal with that on a more minute basis, <laughs> um, like I really think that that's a big part of the way that they've come through. And you have to look at Mike Jacobs. He he learned from Peter Vermes out at Sporting KC. That's who he worked for. That's who he's the Speaking deputy. Of a chip for. on your shoulder. So it's it's like that is part of the DNA of the club. And, and I think that Gary Smith just fits it in a way that he may not fit another MLS team, but he he fits sort of the ethos I think of the club, which. I know it's a lot of cliches, but at this point in time, you're looking at two years in. Nashville was a playoff team last year. They look like they're probably a playoff team this year. You know, there's something to it. You have to say there's something to it. So, Adam, is Gary Smith the new Ben Olsen? I don't think so. Um, I I think they have different, obviously different approaches. But I think one of the reasons – that people slept on Gary Smith was those Colorado teams. They were very basic for lack of a better word. It worked for them. They had the right pieces to make basic work with, with Kai Kamara, with um, whoever else was out there. I can't even remember. It It was Omar Cummings, Connor Casey were the big two. There you go. Oh yeah. Um, Or Casey Connor, (laughs) as he was called when he won MLS, uh, the MLS uh, championship MVP that game. Yes. So he he worked with the pieces he had, but I think there was also some confirmation bias when he came to Nashville. And that first season, they were very much uh, so, like shut shut things down first, and then we'll score a goal if we get to that. But it, they, they were very much a defense first team, which is I think where the Ben Olsen parallels come in. This year, though, they're scoring goals at a decent clip, like Clay said. So has anything changed from last year as far as the approach? I, I do think that there's been – the defense has been a little bit more porous this year. I think you have to mention that. I do think that um, there were some things that were lost in the fold of the narrative last year. I'll say it that way. Nashville dealt with serious injuries across its front line all of last year. I mean, they went and got a point up at New England playing Derek Jones as a starting striker. I mean, like, these were things that they were – dealing with and then once they 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 hit a run where they scored three goals away to Orlando then three goals against Miami towards the end of the season when guys were getting healthy so I I do think that while they were definitely defensive first part of that was brought on by just necessity uh, because of the injuries that they were dealing with this year they've bolstered that so they've kind of built off of the defense they've had unfortunately that's not worked out as well. They've had some games where they haven't been very good defensively, but guys like CJ Sapong, obviously Hani Mukhtar has, has sort of clicked in the last month or so, two months really. He's gotten adjusted to the league. So there's a lot of things that have like built on that because, you know, if, if one or two guys didn't have it last year, they would have to play for a point. This year, Hani Mukhtar made a goal, score a goal. CJ Sapong may score a goal. They just signed Ake Loba. He hasn't scored yet, but he was an expensive signing. Maybe he becomes a guy who scores a goal. Uh, Randall Leal has had patches where he looks like a star. So uh, they've been able to find different guys that can put it together because they've sort of had the solidity um, in the midfield and back line in theory. Um, but they ha- they did leak quite a bit of goals early on in the year. Um they were able to to shut that down here in the last month or so, but then they went and shipped two goals to Miami uh, this past weekend. 
still with a plus nine goal differential, which ain't bad for halfway through the season. No, and that's the real big question, though. They still haven't won a road game. Uh, Nashville's been very home-heavy schedule. Um, the question is, are they going to be able to translate this on the road? I don't think it's as cut and dry as uh, some folks have said uh, because Nashville hasn't really been a fully like best 11 team at home yet. Like They've had some good home results, but their best 11 hasn't really played or what we think will be their best 11 hasn't really played together a whole lot this season. And so maybe they click in, you know, as they go on these big road stretches. But I think uh, I would have felt a lot more confident about that if they didn't just get two points from the last three on the road. Well, this one is a home game for, for Nashville coming up against DC and they're unbeaten at home. No losses in their 11, which is a staggering number of home games halfway <laughs> yeah. through the season. Um, but five draws and only six wins uh, so far. What I mean, Gary Smith talked about the need to stop dropping points at home because that's 20 points left on the table if you you know want to win every home game. So so what's going on with the draws? Is it is it just the first 11 not necessarily being available? And Well, I think... I think there's a few things going on there. Obviously, the there were I think it was four of the first five were at home, and that's where some of these draws were. There was a two-two draw to Cincinnati. Um, there was kind of a sleepy, you know, one-one draw with uh, Montreal. Um, I think there was another draw with a scoreless draw with Miami. Uh, these were all early in the year. Nashville got one game in preseason, uh, and. I think it showed in some of those games because some of the some of the goals that the opposing teams were scoring were were like against Montreal. It was a worldie and a worldie of a deflection. Cincinnati of stupid error. I mean, they weren't they weren't necessarily the types of goals that you would attribute to something systemically off, but they are the type of goals that you would attribute to. This is a team that hasn't played together but one time in the last you know month, and so when they came out of that first run of games, they had a really good scoreless streak after that. And that's where they started to get some wins together. But I I think people would feel a whole lot differently if they would have won two or three of those first games at home instead of, instead of drawn them in sort of really depressing ways. I mean, I think the XG for that Cincinnati game, that was a two, two draw was like four to one and it was a two, two draw. Like just, some crazy I think Nashville ranks I haven't looked since this past road trip but they rank near the top in like chances created next year around the league and a lot yeah, of I think that they're games that they didn't actually win and early in the year yeah this is low-key like a, a pretty exciting matchup as far as the the advanced stats NYC is running away and hiding with the Eastern Conference uh, on XG models but Nashville and DC are the teams right behind them ahead of even New England who's running away with the actual points yeah. Uh, at this point, but Nashville and DC are both playing really good soccer when it comes, like when it comes to the actual uh, advanced metrics. So it, this this matchup should be really fun. Yeah, and I mean, thinking about the uh, the DC game I saw earlier this year, which ended up being what I think it was one nil over Miami, but it could have very easily been like four or five nil. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a performance that I'd seen many times this year. Uh, just from a different perspective. And uh, I'm really I, – I think the the loss to Miami is not 
the worst thing in the world to happen to Nashville. Uh, I don't. I think Nashville's a pretty good team. I don't think they're a ten unbeaten in MLS good team. So I, I thought a loss was coming. Uh, I hoped it wasn't at Miami after I'd driven, you know, fifteen hundred miles in two days from Massachusetts to be there. But uh, but it, it, it was at least something that Nashville probably needed to get in terms to get like back on track and back to what they do best. And so uh, I do find that the matchup being with DC is a really interesting one because it could go in a couple of different ways and not all of them positive for Nashville. So Clay, I've got uh, two more questions, at least for now uh, on, on opposite sides of the field. The first being uh, you have a, player that DC United hates to play against in CJ Sapong on your team. He's a, he's a, uh, he's a DC area. Right. Exactly. He's a DC area native and whatever team he's on, he always scores against DC United, usually a game winner. It just always happens. How important is he to the team right now? How's he doing? And and what's his role for y'all right now? I mean, he's unreal right now. Uh, it's great. That's what we want to hear. I'm someone who, <laughs> who already liked him, as as Adam knows, and you know I've talked about on here before. Like I supported Chicago before I had a local team, and you know CJ Sapong a few years ago was the Chicago like player of the year or whatever. But like to, you know, I talked a few minutes ago about that, like having a a chip on your shoulder. I mean, CJ signed to Nashville, knowing him getting on the field was going to be an uphill climb. And since he's been in Nashville, they've extended the loan of one DP and signed another DP striker. And all he's done is score at a rate that nobody's been touching on the team. So like he has just been, uh, I mean, if we did player of the season voting right now, it would be between him and Hani Mukhtar uh, for the team. And I think he has taken you know, the idea that his spot could be up and, you know, taken over. I mean, he's playing over two DPs, starting over two DPs. Do I think that's going to continue throughout the whole season? No, I think they're going to try to find a way to get uh, Ake Lobo on the field with him personally. But like, Jean-Derek Cadiz is not a cheap guy. He, he scores at a good rate, generally speaking. Uh, he played a terrible game against Inter-Miami, but his his like numbers scoring wise aren't the worst like he he scored some big goals for Nashville in a relatively short amount of time and he can't get on the field he can't get on the field over CJ in a first strength squad and i think CJ took that as a challenge and he's taken over and he's been really impressive and he really he really fits a lot of things that Nashville wants to do um and you know he's grabbed grabbed hold of it i mean there's that's the reason they shipped off Don Baji Don Baji's not you know the greatest finisher in the world but the reason he's gone is because he wasn't getting on the field. Daniel Rios, a guy who, you know, tied for the team leading goals last year, he's had, had some injuries, but he hasn't really hit the field. CJ's grabbed it. And so I think uh, I think he has he has impressed everyone, even people like me who already thought really highly of him, thought he was gonna be the third striker. And right now he's number one and it's and nobody's touching him yet, at least. And so uh, my other question, uh, DC United related on the other side of the field is I feel like there's a big portion of us that still miss angry Joe Willis. Uh, 
we wish a statue of Joe Willis. Yeah, he's got we a great stash he... going. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but it's also it's also another thing. It's like he was never going to pass. Like he's a great player. He was never going to pass Bill Hamid in DC. But uh, it's great to see him starting for another MLS team. He deserves it. So how is he doing? But also, does Nashville have anyone who can uh, back him up? Can 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 uh, supplant him? Not supplant him, but but basically like replace him if he gets injured or if something happens or if I mean. He's in his he's in his thirties now. He's not going to be around forever. Do they have a, a a clear successor yet, or is it still just like that? That's a problem for tomorrow, not for today. He doesn't have anyone that's going to challenge him immediately. Uh, I do think that Joe uh, should have gotten way more plaudits last year for the numbers that he put in as a goalkeeper. I think he's either at or near the top of the league in clean sheets this year even with some games that Nashville probably shouldn't have given up goals in. And so he's, he's doing really, really well. And I don't think he gets near enough credit partially because of the way Nashville plays. That back line is really good. Uh, Dave Romney, a guy who also doesn't get near the plaudits. I think Dave Romney is the best out and out defensive player that Nashville has um, way more so than, than Walker Zimmerman. Uh, who is a better defender, but that's because he does a lot of stuff going forward. But Wait, are, are you saying they're they're both better than Jaleel Anibaba? <laughs> hey, Jaleel's done great. I love Jaleel, so I'm not going to say anything bad about Jaleel. <laughs> He's another fire, <laughs> former fire guy. Yeah, yeah. They're they're definitely both better than Eric Miller, who has played at center back the last few games. But uh, but anyway, I, I do think that Joe hasn't gotten quite enough credit for what he's done in goal. Um, but they don't really have someone immediately challenging him. So Brian Meredith has been backing him up. Brian Meredith's been with like a thousand teams. Uh, I think he's even been the, uh, the pool keeper at times in MLS. Uh, and then I don't quote me on that. I'm not totally sure, but then behind him, right. they have uh, a, a kid named Elliot Panico, who was a draft pick. Uh, he is with, he's on loan with, I believe Austin right now. Uh, I'll have to check on that, but Elliot's a guy that they actually rate quite highly. Um, they draft, they did, uh, they picked up Adrian Zendejas, uh, who was a uh, kind of had a little bit of potential as a backup keeper with SKC at the very start of all of this expansion process. And they shipped off Zendejas last year because their draft pick Panico had kind of taken that spot. And so Panico is getting some minutes this year. I think that's who they have at least at the moment pegged as a potential successor but they're uh they're way more interested in getting uh and just keeping joe in and getting him minutes in the the lower division and i know that they've they've got a few other guys that they like but uh it's i i would be surprised and i'm very hopeful that i won't have to see anyone other than joe willis in goal the uh the rest of the way this year taking a quick detour off the field. This might be DC United's last visit to Nissan stadium. Nashville's got some uh, nice, you know, potentially very nice new digs going up. uh, I think at the fairgrounds out there. Um, Tell us about them. How are the new digs shaping up? Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's, it's, it's 
I don't know if they've publicly said it's ahead of schedule, but it seems to be ahead of schedule from what they've been saying. They did a, they're doing an event literally, I think right now with Don Garber uh, up in Nashville, but I thought the filibuster podcast was way more important than that. So that's the reason I'm here. Um, but it, it's looking pretty cool. I've got my seats. Uh, I opted for seats cause it's standing in the entire supporter section, which is about 3,100. Uh, they need to sell more of those seats. But other than that, They've got um, 15,000 season tickets sold is, is what's been said so far. It's going to be a 30,000 seater stadium, which is the largest, um, you know, purpose-built soccer stadium in the country. Uh, so it, it's looking pretty good. Uh, I'm really excited about what that, what that whole area is going to look like when it's done. A lot of people hear fairgrounds and they immediately compare it to Columbus. Anyone who's been to Nashville and knows that neighborhood knows that that is not comparable. Uh, the, Columbus uh, doesn't have uh, a, a barber shop run by Soccer Moses. Yeah, my barber, uh, by the way, <laughs> Stephen Mason, uh, and uh, the the guitarist for Jars of Clay, which I always enjoy telling people. I always enjoy introducing <laughs> him as Christian rock star uh, Stephen Mason. But uh, the uh, but anyway, it, that that neighborhood is a is a pretty cool neighborhood. There's going to be a lot of stuff popping up around the stadium. We probably won't see it in 2022. We'll probably start to see that stuff in 2023 and 2024. Um, but there's going to be a lot of things around there. And um, from, you know, from a personal standpoint, the way that they're building around it is something that is really uh, heartening to someone, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm on a, to be completely honest, I'm on a political campaign for, for a union in this state. They worked out uh, a deal with this, with a group that was representing a lot of progressive causes, mostly unions, to do a community benefits agreement that's around the stadium. So the housing that's around the stadium, a significant portion of that is devoted to workforce and um, low-income housing. Uh, there's a um, there's going to be a sliding scale child care center that's there. They've got areas devoted for. Um, you know, minority like incubators, business incubators, they really did it in a way to try and keep it from like fully, you know, gentrifying an area that's already dealing with that. And so that sounds great. Yeah. And so it's Nashville's not the first team to do a community benefits agreement, uh, but DC did one. It doesn't, it doesn't seem as good as what y'all are doing. So it's part of, it, it's part of, they're the first ones in Nashville to do something like that. And um, it was a really important part of actually getting the stadium to get through. It is financed through the city, but it is largely not paid for by the city. It's on a plan, you know, whether I don't personally agree with the way they set up those plans, you know, but it is what it is. It is still going to be paid for largely by the ownership group and Ingram and all that stuff. So it is good the way it's come together, but it, it is also good in the way that it's going to actually impact the community in a way that I think is really important for soccer teams to do. Cause I mean, it is soccer is one of the most international sports, you know, there is in the world. It is the most international sport. Nashville has a large international community that people don't realize exists. It's home to, one of the largest Somali refugee communities in the country. It's home to the most uh, Kurdish people outside of Kurdistan uh, in the world. Um, There's a large community of people in Nashville that don't get talked about when people think about Nashville. They think about country music. They think about bachelorette parties. And so the team is explicitly working 
to try with its stadium setup to represent the community a little bit more. So that, that really makes me feel good about moving into a neighborhood, you know, and they didn't have to kick anybody out of their houses in this neighborhood. It's going in a place that's unused. And so uh, just checks a lot of boxes for me. So I'm really excited about the stadium, but I'm way more excited about what the stadium represents. That's awesome. Uh, going back on the field, um, question I've been asking guests uh, in these preview segments this year uh, that, that's new is how do your guys handle the press? Because Hernan Losada has been very explicit. He wants to get out on the front foot. He wants to defend in your half of the field, and he wants to create scoring opportunities. That's where the winning goal against Montreal came from this week. So how does Nashville handle being pressed very high uh, up the field? I think they do pretty well with it, honestly. I think part of that is just simply that Nashville is a largely veteran-built team. Um, there's there's nothing that that Nash, that a team's going to throw at Nashville that its players or that Gary hasn't seen before. Um, and so – I th- they have they have at times not responded well to these sorts of things, but um, you know there's a- everyone knows that all up and down the the system Red Bull loves to press and largely up until very recently Nashville dealt with it quite well. Now their their worst loss of the year was a two two nil loss away to Red Bull. To be fair, but that's like probably the worst that they've played against it. In that game, they still have managed about three or four. Uh, pretty decent scoring chances in that game. They just lost two nil. Um, so it, it is a little bit worrisome, but I'm not, there's no way that a team is, there's no way that a team plays that makes me really uncomfortable. Um, just because you look at the makeup of Nashville, they, they, they depend on a lot of guys that have seen a lot of different setups and and they largely adjust well. And so uh, I'm really interested. I'm more interested in seeing the way that Nashville comes off of a performance that was that they didn't seem to like too much. I mean, uh, if it's a bad draw that feels like a loss or a loss, typically the next game has been really impressive. Now, part of that is they play a much worse team, to be fair. <laughs> but uh, but Which is not the case this week. We can yeah, actually exactly. say that this year. Yeah, exactly. And so um, – that's the interesting part to me is okay. You went on the, you went on the road, you got a loss in the 90th something minute. That's something that Nashville has won. They Nashville has gotten an equalizing goal or a winner. I think all but one, but they've gotten 11 goals in the 90th minute or later in four years of playing a professional as a professional team. And uh, I think all but one of them was an equalizer or a winner. And so now it finally happened to them for once. So like, it'll be really fun to see how they respond. Uh, last question before we get you out of here. If you were lining up across from Gary Smith and you had the game plan against Nashville SC, what would you be focusing on? What would you try to exploit? What do you try to take away? That's actually pretty interesting. I'm not, I've not really thought about it in that way. Um, I think that's why me, I asked the question, Clay. Yeah. Well, to, <laughs> to me, I think the most important thing to come out is on the front foot. I mean, that's something that everyone says, we're going to come out, we're going to attack, we're going to do this. But Nashville has been leaky, leaky in the first 15 minutes of games. I mean, really, if they've given up a goal in a lot of these games, it's been early. And so I think, I mean, they gave up two goals in the first, like, 10, 15 minutes of Cincinnati. 
Um, there have been games where, you know, you're, you're still getting adjusted in your seat, you know, trying to put, uh, trying to get, make sure your drink doesn't fall over while you're standing and you look up and Nashville's already down one nil. And so I think coming out and getting an early goal is really important if you want to win a game. Um, especially considering that generally speaking, now it didn't happen against Miami, but generally speaking, if Nashville gets up on you, it's done for the most part. But there have been a few games where, you know, a team comes out, punches Nashville in the mouth, and then they don't really have, you know, it takes a while to get back into the game. Now, of course, NSC's only lost two two games this year, so that is worth noting. But uh, I think the most important thing is to come, is to not come out, you know, feel your way out on a game. I think it's important to come out and push first 15 minutes, get past the first 15 minutes and don't score. It's a lot tougher. Um, and that sounds super cliched, but I, I, I mean, really honestly, that sounds like DC United season, like under Losada, they do want to get out and score very early. We we've seen goals in the second minute and the seventh minute this year. Um, Kevin Paredes almost scored in the third minute against Montreal this week. Um, so I, I would expect that to be part of the game plan for DC United. Um, so I'm glad to hear you say that that is <laughs> something. Yeah. That... So, so you've got that going for you and then we have CJ. So, uh, yeah. so right. <laughs> one of these things must happen, right? Yeah. Uh, possibly both. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. If we just want all the narratives to come true. Uh, Clay, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. It's always good to talk to you on or off the air. Um, for anyone who, who hasn't been listening for a while, Clay and I are literally cousins. Our mothers are sisters. So uh, yeah. we, we literally and, go way back. And I literally spent nearly every Saturday or Sunday of my childhood at, at, the, uh, at the Indiana Cellar, at uh, the Hoosier Cellar, at Purdue graduate Adam Taylor's house. Yep, I'm the, I'm the black and gold sheep of the family. Uh, uh, as uh, you know, we watch the we watch Indiana play back when Indiana was like consistently okay or good. Yeah, they they were uh, not as and bad I'm the, back then. I'm the Ohio one on this podcast, but also my parents are both cream and crimson Indiana University graduates. So That'd be number seventeen Indiana football. Uh, <laughs> by the way, just throwing that out today. Oh my <laughs> the gosh! Coach's poll came out. So who, 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 who's your? Also, when I when I was a kid, it was it was all Antoine Randall L. Yeah, that was the only thing. Now it's the only thing Indiana football had going for it. Now it's time for I'm, Mike I'm more, Phoenix to take over. I'm more mad Phoenix that uh, way, way more I'm more mad that our absent. <laughs> Our absent co-host Jason isn't here because in 2001, Indiana should have won the uh, National Basketball Championship, but Jason's uh, Maryland won that instead. 2002. 2002, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I right, watched so that at Adam's house. I watched, <laughs> I wasn't even at the house at that point because yeah, I, I was got up. away at residential school. I was on a beanbag chair when they came back to beat Oklahoma in the final four. And so we came back for the championship game and you I was sat in the same place. I wasn't allowed to leave the beanbag chair. I'm guessing it was my mother that told you that. Yeah, it was somebody. Yep. But if you remember that chair was not comfortable. <laughs> no. And so it was very flat and it was a very uncomfortable game for multiple reasons. 
before we it's get also any a very further, bad game. Before we get any further down this road, uh, we're going to wrap it up and continue off air. I think. Thank you all for listening to this, especially our Patreon supporters who got early access to this. If you're interested in getting early access to these preview episodes, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. If you want to see anything we write about DC United or anything else, you can do that at blackandredunited.com. Uh, find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at Black and Red U for the site. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us for download and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm told ratings and reviews are really helpful. Mostly, I just want you to share uh, word of this podcast with a friend. And uh, Clay, where can where can people find you online? So, uh, Pharma Soccer on Twitter for the Pharmaceutical Soccer Podcast, a very intelligently named uh, podcast about that's full of bad soccer takes. Um, you can find us at Pharma Soccer on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, also at 1025 The Game uh, here in Nashville and on the Game Nashville app. Uh, in addition to that, you can find me at Clay Lasol on Twitter. You're going to get a lot of Everton takes. You're going to get a lot of Nashville SC takes. Uh, a lot of Evansville propaganda. A lot of Evansville propaganda. We do six degrees of aces soccer on there every once in a while. Uh, and then in addition to that, you can go to Nashville Soccer Archive, as uh, I am the person taking care of all of the Nashville soccer history, including a T-shirt that Adam is wearing right now, which is of the Nashville Diamonds, one of the worst professional teams I've ever heard of in the history of pro soccer in the United States. And they had the best logo of all the teams I've ever seen in the history of pro soccer in the United States. It is incredible. It is a mustachioed man with a cowboy hat, playing a banjo, wearing a soccer jersey, and kicking a soccer ball. His name is Diamond Jim. In he boots. was dead. He was dead as of 1982. And as of 2021, he is alive. You can buy the shirt on the website and uh fun little fact here that i didn't mention earlier that i realized while sitting next to adam at a dc united game so the diamonds the first pro team in the history of nashville soccer died a very untimely death death in 1982 and across the street from moses barbershop in 2022 40 years to the day you're going to see Nashville reach the promised land at their new stadium. So, I mean, it's written, right? There's a reason soccer Moses ended up in Nashville, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Clay, yeah. thanks again for coming on the show. Nashville soccer archive is the website for, if, if you're interested in the t-shirt, uh, what's the URL on that? Just Nashville soccer hit the store. All right. That does it for us. For Ben, I'm Adam, thanking Clay one more time. Uh, thank you for listening. Say goodnight, Ben. Angry Joe Willis! <laughs>